everyone. It's another episode of Swing Thoughts. Having just completed eight years, you'd think by now uh, you and I would just be like, we'd have it down. But you know what? Every show is different. We don't know what's going to happen. It's a lot like a golf game. Just see what shows up. Exactly. I, I wonder if people who listen to us have... Because this first part's always awkward. <laughs> this, this first part's always like... I wonder, I wonder if people who listen to us think, do they script that? The answer is no. <laughs> like, I never tell Tim what we're going to talk about at the beginning of the program. I just like... Sometimes I just throw things at you because I'm like, I wonder what Tim would say. Uh, Coach, it's most of the betting games. I just feel like at the end, tell me what I owe. No, exactly. Uh, as always, there's Coach Tim. This, uh, I'm golf spiritual leader. That's right. I, I decided to call myself that years ago. I, somebody saw that on my bag the other day, and they made some noise like, oh, yours golf spiritual leader? I said, it's a joke. I was being <laughs> ironic. And it's a Did joke. Did expect you to be on like a cloud? <laughs> That's right. And in, and in saffron robes? Yeah. I said, I'm sorry. I hadn't shaved my head yet. Uh, but it's coming. <laughs> it's on its way. Uh, welcome to uh, the fall season. We, uh, I guess it was a couple weeks ago, we kind of closed out our doing the show every week schedule. And we will be on a, uh, I guess, on our fall into winter schedule starting today. But that doesn't mean that we're going to stop trying to provide excellent information. Wait till you guys hear who we have on the show today, uh, which we will get to in a second. First, let me tell you that this program is, as always, brought to you by TaylorMade Golf Canada, TaylorMadeGolf.ca. Another great year of having them support us. Thank you very much. Who is OscarBravo.com? Uh, the reason the reason that Tim and I aren't wearing our polos right now is because we're old and it just got cold today. And by the way, if you're watching this, neither of us... I didn't tell you I was going to wear a hoodie. Just, as soon as I saw you, I'm like, oh, that's right. We're 130 years old and that's, uh, that's why we're wearing hoodies today. <laughs> Are you playing today, by the way? Uh teaching today yeah okay. i'm going to be on a range uh up on the highest point at blue springs yes where i'll be exposed to wind and be wearing probably <laughs> three layers and long pants because here's the, that's what i was gonna say i'm playing today and uh, i'm wearing long pants for the first time so thank you very much to taylor made golf who is OscarBravo.com, and as always stretch lab toronto uh if you've been listening to the show uh for any length of time you know that we we have mentioned our guest uh, before, uh, most recently in a conversation we had with Carl Morris, who's been on our program many times. But years ago, and I, I'm, I was talking about with this with you before the show. I can't remember when it was, but season two or three, I mentioned I'd read this book, Golf from Point A, and how much I enjoyed it and how it resonated. And you, you've, uh, you are aware of the book. And then when we had Carl on. I had just finished listening to this uh, this person with Carl, and I said, you know what? She'd be great with us. And so uh, thanks to uh, a bunch of work in the background, and uh, we're pleased to present Susie Myers, not only an author, but one of the most uh, engaging speakers on the subject of golf. I could tell you all about how she was most recently honored with being chosen as Golf Magazine's top 100 teachers in the country of the U.S. of A. Um, And for many years, a fine golfer and a golf instructor and a deep thinker about the game of golf. It's a pleasure to welcome Susie to our program. Hi, Susie. Well, good morning. Thank you for having me on. I'm super excited to talk golf with you, too. There's so much. I mean, I heard you with Carl and I said to Tim after I said, oh, my God, Susie would be so great with us. Part of it is because you're obviously, again, a deep thinker about the game. But your enthusiasm for golf, your enthusiasm for the game of golf is really one of your superpowers. Well, we carry that power within us. Right. And um, I have no idea that that's a power. I just am who I am. And. I do my best to be at point A, which is presenting the best of yourself in each and every moment. So if um, my enthusiasm comes out, it's only because I love this game and 
I really love self-improvement. I love to get the best out of myself. And as a player, that's what I was doing. I was uh, trying to get the best out of myself every day um, when I was playing for a living. And when I decided to stop playing, I... I got a job for the summer teaching, and I thought, as a player, ah, you know, those who play don't really want to teach. So I gave my first lesson, though, and I came in and I said, oh, my gosh, I've found what I want to do for the rest of my life. And um, my passion went from playing to helping others play to their best. And it's been a, a wonderful, wonderful journey for me. So along that journey, there's often uh, a point where people come and, they, and and what may have worked for them doesn't work anymore or they find a, a different way. Did you find along for you that there was a different path that you took that you thought was different than what you'd done before? Um, well, it was interesting because when I became a teacher, it was back in the days when everything was very technical and video was big and um, analyzing was very big and I got involved in that. Uh, I was back in the Northeast and uh, Mike Hebron was a mentor of mine or is a mentor of mine. And he was a deep diver into the golf swing. And I thought, well, that's the way you needed to be as a coach. And then I realized that as a player, I never went that route. And so I was like, I'm starting to teach not the way that I learned how to play and not the way that I did play. And um, I ended up coming out to Arizona and I met a gentleman that um, talked to me about how to think about golf. And every time he started to talk about how to think, I was like, well, that's the way I think. That's the way I think. And he looked at me and he goes, well, nobody thinks like that. He says, you have to teach people how to think like that. And I said, well, that's the way I thought. Just, you know, don't think about the last shot. Just keep moving forward because you never know where the ball's going to go. Mm-hmm. I remember when I was like 15 or 16, I was playing with a young professional and I was on the 14th hole of my home course and I had just hit it out of the trees up by the green. And he goes, God, if I hit it like you, I'd quit. And I looked at it. And I looked at him like, oh my gosh, I'm right next to the hole. You know, I got a 20 footer just off the green. I mm-hmm. might make this thing. And I never thought about how it had to be perfect. Right. I was just playing golf and I it just moved the ball forward. And that tenacity and that determination and that not focusing on perfection really was who I I am. You know, Susie, we had uh, the good fortune of having Michael Hebron on a couple times and just really it's interesting because there was a guy that, you know, was a technical teacher who discovered a different way, a different path forward. Um, But it seems to me that from reading about you and reading the book that that was always innate in you. But you you must know this. It's not innate in a lot of the people that play this game. Well, it is not innate, but it's because the the golf culture has presented a kind of a different way to think this technical side and the perfection side. And you have to get it right side. And when I got into how to think and started to verbalize verbalize it to people, they caught on to it. And golf from point A has allowed me to kind of package these ideas in a way that I believe people can um, digest them and actually use them. You know, it was always said, play golf uh, one shot at a time. I had no idea what that meant and what that how to actually do that. Of course, you're only going to hit one shot at a time. I can only hit this putt right now. But we didn't realize how much baggage everyone was carrying from the past and from the and from the anxiety of the future, that they weren't really hitting just that one shot. They were carrying the weight of the world on their shoulders for that shot. So being able to help people understand what that actually is playing golf from one one shot at a time playing golf at point a is really very active it's not passive at point a there is a lot to actually do that's so simple that you can do it you just don't do it all of the time and what do i mean by that playing golf from point a is that in when when you're at the 
at A, the point A, just like the alphabet, there's nothing before the letter A. So there is no past. You're at point A there. You don't care how the ball got here. You don't care if you're on the first tee. You don't care if this is the last putt of the day. There's nothing that has come before that. And you give your absolute best to what you're doing in the moment. And the best is taking in that information and making a good decision and creating a picture of what you want to do, committing to that picture and then making a motion to the picture that you have in your head and allowing all of that to happen and then allow the ball to go and not try to steer it or hold on to it or make it do something. So it's actually very active at point A. And then wherever the ball goes wherever it goes, because you cannot control where the ball goes, you simply walk to it and start over again at point A. And so by packaging it as I'm just here at point A, people understand what that means now. And they they can define it in ways that are pertinent to them. So everything has to be very personal and relating to what their past experiences are. I know that... Um, when um, um, Jutanagara was leading, she was the number one player in the world, she had to smile before every shot. Mm-hmm. And so for her, she she went through the same routine, but every shot she smiled so that she would gain her inner power. And everybody has inner power. We just have to realize that we tend as humans to to stifle that inner power by putting too many shoulds on ourselves. One of my students said, um, I'm going to write a T-shirt that says, don't should on yourself. (laughs) And I just thought that was absolutely brilliant because that's a word that you just don't want to have in your vocabulary. So, Susie, if I may interject, one of the things you're talking about, and again, I I just uh, breezed through the book again this morning just because I thought, oh, there's a couple things I wanted to remember. What you're talking about, starting over golf from point A, and as you say, it's a very active uh, uh, endeavor process. process, but it's the opposite of what most golfers do. As you say, most golfers connect the dots. They connect, yes. they, they look at a golf hole as a series of shots that they should be able to play. If it's a par four, they're thinking about where they want their tee shot, etc. Just talk a little bit about why connecting the dots doesn't work for golfers and then bring us back around to how that relates to being in the present as often as you can. So I think people believe that they can control the outcome. And so the first questions I ask a student is, can you control your golf swing? And most of them will say, yeah, that's why I practice. Well, so can you control where your ball goes? Well, I should be able to control where my ball goes. Well, then can you control your score? Well, no, I can't control that. Well, if you could control your golf swing, then you would know where your ball was going to go. And if you knew where your ball was going to go, you'd know what your score is. Well, and then they understand that that doesn't make any sense. So helping people understand that their golf stroke is the one thing that they cannot control and where the ball goes is not controllable. They think that the pros, when they watch them on TV, that those guys are shooting like sniper guns and they just look at the flag and the ball is just going to go zoop right at the flag. They don't realize that this player is really shooting a shotgun and it goes out in this um, diversified pattern and, and it goes out in a distribution that they don't know where it's going to end up when they're playing. Well, it does what they think it's going to do when they're not playing. Well, it could go anywhere. And that's because of the mental side of the game. When they're not playing well, they have doubt, confusion, or fear going on. And all of that affects the mind to body intricate connection that makes a golf stroke. So what we want to realize is what we can control and what we can't control. Well, if we can't control our golf swing and we can't control where the ball goes, what can we control? Well, we can control our preparation. Some people say, well, we can control our attitude. And I'm going to say, well, We would like to think that we can, but how many people lose it on the golf course? How many people are depressed on (laughs) the golf course? How many people are frustrated on the golf course? If it's so easy to control that, then we probably would. But people don't understand that that's that's part of the the 
I don't know. It's just kind of the fun part. What? How am I going to play today? Well, nobody knows how they're going to play today, but they do. They can make a decision on who they're going to be as mm-hmm. they play today. Yeah, very and good. if you decide who you're going to be, I'm going to play golf from point A. And all day long, I'm just going to say, oh, I'm at point A. It's a brand new beginning. I have this process. I understand what the process is. That's all I'm going to do. I have no idea where the ball's going to go. I'm just going to allow the ball to go wherever it goes. I'm going to accept it. I'm going to move on. So I have three A words in the point A because point A has P words and it has A words. And the A words are first to have awareness. And awareness is the key really to life. Am I aware that the wind's blowing in my face and I need more club? Am I aware that I'm uphill? Am I aware that I'm feeling a little bit nervous about this shot? Am I feeling confused? Am I aware of who I'm being right now? All Everything is based on awareness in order to apply the I call it a tool in quotations that you need. So if I'm feeling um, nervous about it, the best way to, to get yourself back into a state of being is by breath. Wim Hof has uh, become a big name in the world, Wim Hof breathing. But breathing is basically just getting oxygen into your body to calm your brain. I didn't realize until I did a bunch of research that when you breathe through your nose, there's a enzyme that is released that actually calms your brain. <laughs> and I'm like, so just breathe, deep breaths, get yourself back into the state of being that you want to be in, and now go through your process. And please do not connect your dots because if you're connecting your dots, you're thinking about the results. And we could give you example after example after example of professionals that have a putt to win on the last hole and they go, oh, if I make this, I'm going to win. And everything in their body changes. And that's just because of the way the mind works. So you have to stay at point A, allow the ball to go. If it's either going to go in the hole, it's going to go right of the hole, it's going to go left of the hole, it's going to be short of the hole. And then you look at it and you move on to the next point A. So I'm going to, that's where I'm going to interject is, is that's the way the mind works. The mind goes all over the place. Yes. You know, I, I concur with you a hundred percent. We can't control the mind. We can't control the thoughts that are going to come in, but we can certainly respond. And so I think that what you're talking about in many ways is making a commitment to a process and not deviating from that because that's part of what happens in the game. That's part of being human. The brain responds to novelty. And, you know, we see all these options for us and we could go back. Oh, I remember what I did five years ago when I was pushing the ball or when I was leaving putts short. So talk to us a little bit about, and maybe this is what we're learning. These, those other two A's you were talking about yes. is, is what do you suggest in terms for golfers in terms of staying committed? to whatever it is, including point A? Well, you first have to have a plan when you go out. And your plan has to be to play golf from point A, which is have no past, have no future, have a process that creates the picture that's always positive. So if you don't go out with a plan, you're not anchored into something. Now, there are a million plans out there. And like I said, each person has to decide what they need for that day. So my my next A word is accept. And you accept is accept what you cannot control, accept what you cannot change. Wherever your ball is, it's there. You can't change it. There's nothing you can do about it. So accept it and move on. But what we tend to do is we tend to hold on to it. We mourn it. We try to fix it. We we try to figure it out. We try to make the next one better because I just messed this one up. So I need to make up for my next shot. So all of that is baggage. So when we realize that I just have to accept where it is, start over, free myself of all of that bondage from the past and the anxiety of the future, then I'm able to bring out the best of myself where I am. And then the the next A word is the opposite of trying. So, so many of us in golf are trying so hard to do so much that the harder you try in golf, 
the worse it gets. We know that the players that are the most relaxed, the most having fun, the most um, focused in the moment, not worrying about anything are the ones that play well. But how do you get there? You really have to go through some training and getting into the state of allowing is is just another way of training yourself all day long okay i use the word all day long i'm going to allow myself to see the picture i'm going to allow the ball to go i'm going to allow myself to hold the finish i'm going to allow myself to be at point a and i just keep using that word because it's such a powerful word about not controlling things, just allowing things to flow. Right. And so I package it as a, package those into threes so that people can remember them. Allow, accept, and awareness. And if you go out and say, okay, I'm going to pick one of those words, and that's all I'm going to work on all day long, and that's what I'm going to focus on. The task is so simple that I can do that. I just forget to do it. I get caught up in all of the rest of the stuff. So being able to be aware where your mind is allows you to come back to the anchor or to the point that you have decided you're going to be all day. And, and Howard, just before you come back, I just want to say – the golf mind is so weird when you consider that there's things that we have to do to, to mourn it. And we no, I love that bondage. No, no, I, I love that. I love that phrase because we do. I mean, yeah. as golfers, we're in some kind of grieving at times for yeah. something that is, has already happened. But back to the three A's. And I want to talk a little bit about what prevents golfers from doing that. Because we've all had moments when it all seems to be flowing and we're aware, we allow, and we accept. But one of the things I wrote down, and this comes from a friend of ours, a guy that I got to know this summer, Dr. Raymond Pryor. And Ray's point is that one of the things that interrupts allowing, accepting, and awareness, especially over the golf ball, is the idea of a golfer's self-image wrapped up in the outcome of every shot. That there's too much of self attached to a simple golf stroke, whether it's a short putt or a chip or a drive they don't like. Talk. What are your thoughts about that, about golfers have this vision of themselves and maybe if they don't execute it perfectly, they won't recognize themselves and maybe they're not as good as they thought they were. Well, golf makes a human being be very vulnerable. Yeah. And. People do not like that feeling. So as I coach um, ladies who are trying to play with other ladies, they think that their whole self is about their golf score and they're like only worried about the results. So we can talk about tour players. We can talk about the average person. We all have this idea that we we are going to be portrayed as our golf game. And once we realize that, Every single person that plays golf is extremely vulnerable when they set up. And it's it was so amazing. I got to caddy for a young man in the U.S. Open um, the year that Tiger Woods won at Torrey Pines. And he was a low amateur. And um, it was so interesting, that first tee box. It was as if, and I played in a, a few U.S. Opens, so I know this feeling, that you're standing on the tee box completely naked, and you have to make a golf stroke and allow the ball to go, and you have to be that vulnerable and allow that to happen. Now, people don't like that, and, and that's that ego part of it. But once we realize that that's the only way to play golf is to lose control is how we gain control. And that this one golf shot is not going to be defining who you are. And it's easy to say that, but once you start talking to people and saying, everybody misses. This young man, he was a low amateur, but... He hates hitting hooks and he had four first tee shots and two of them were hooks into the left rough. Mm -hmm. And, and the 
difference between him being low amateur and him just teeing it up and missing the cut was that he didn't care that they went there. He just went and played them. And that's the big difference. When we care where the ball goes and we care how we missed it, and then we have to put all our clothes on and we have to protect ourselves <laughs> and we ha- our changes are mind-to-muscle intricate connections. This is why people play better on the on the range because once they let the ball go they don't they don't really care nobody's watching them there's no scorecard and they feel very free on the golf course so i talk about being the same person wherever you are when i was working with this young player i was like you have to be the same person on the practice tee, on the first tee, on the last tee, in a qualifying round, in the last group on the last day. That's what you're really training is being the same person, having the same routine, having the same vulnerability and allowing yourself to get hurt by this game. Mm -hmm. But that's the only way to excel through it is to be vulnerable. And I just find it fascinating that we define ourselves through this game. A hundred percent. And quickly, let's, let me say before you jump back in, Timmy, that that's kind of the whole point of, you know, getting getting past all this is to is to be comfortable and not just with being uncomfortable, because that's kind of trite. But to be comfortable with the possibility of failure is the only way to actually get to. A, a, a chance at success because if you're not comfortable with it, could go anywhere and just let it rip. You're just going to guide and steer and jab the golf ball all around, and you'll never know. You'll never know if it was your technique or your temperament that's interrupting your ability. That is so correct. And so in the, in the book, I talk about every shot is a surprise. And and it totally is a surprise when those pros hit it right next to the hole. It's just as much a surprise to them. They they don't look like it's a surprise. And we, the viewers, <laughs> don't think it's a surprise. But they're like, oh, yeah, baby, I'm right next to the hole. Every shot is a surprise. And that's what I say to myself after every shot. Surprise. It's either a pleasant <laughs> surprise or an unpleasant surprise. But that's how vulnerable we want to make ourselves. So surprise is a great word to go out and just say, wherever you go, it's going to be a surprise. But I can handle you. Right. I can handle where the ball is. Wherever you go, I'm going to go back to the same process. I'm going to do the very best I can with what I have have right where I am and that's the motto of point A it doesn't matter what your score is it only matters it did you give your best on every shot well one of the things I love about your approach to the game and in, in your book is that you filter it through your own experience like you were saying you know earlier in the podcast is that the way you were teaching was not the way that you connected with the game and and I love the way that you've managed to come up and you could use the word package just from point a but what i also like about is that you've come up with this interesting phrase the marvelous you and i'd love you just to talk a little bit about that because that's something that that howard and i've talked about for eight years of doing this show is that rather than taking on all these techniques uh from all these external sources whether it be youtube or or wherever you have some innate talent. So I'd just like you to elaborate on what you mean by the marvelous you and why that's something that our listeners should perhaps investigate. Well, the marvelous you is um, is in every single one of us. And I just believe that we do have innate abilities to toss a a paper wad into the garbage can. We are designed for success. And the reason that we don't have success is because of the, the, um, the, the stuff that's on top of us, the, the, the garbage. And we, our job is ego mind. You mean, do you mean the ego mind or the culture we're in or what do you mean? The garbage? It doesn't even matter. It's just a thought, you know, I, again, I should make this putt is baggage on top of you. It's not even, I don't call it the ego mind because every single person that goes out to play golf 
wants to play well. <laughs> there isn't a, that's human. So human, I'm, I don't know. I don't talk too much about the ego. I just talk about being human and if we just allow ourselves to get rid of the stuff that holds us back and keep ourselves clean. And that's what I talk about is if, if we were to build a statue of a, the golfer, would we rather put things together to make that statue or would we rather have a piece of marble and chip away and find that golfer? within that marble. Mm -hmm. And I believe it's the chipping away that creates that golfer. And my whole life is to keep myself clean of the garbage that can be put upon that statue. And so I actually protect myself. This, the YouTube and the information that is out there today is all good information. These guys are not putting it out there to hurt anyone. But if you don't protect yourself, then you are susceptible to way too many ideas. That's not how the brain works. The brain works in having a clear picture with nothing interfering with it and then just moving to that picture. And so as I've grown in my own growing of of golf, I haven't watched YouTube for golf. I don't listen to other sports psychologists. I don't do that because now I would be clogged up with too much information. You have to keep it so simple and you actually have to protect yourself. My coach told me when I was back developing my game, he says, if you read any books, if you read magazines, if you listen to anybody else, I'm not going to coach you because the whole idea is to make your mind so quiet quiet that you just simply move according to the picture and you've developed movements and you've developed a quiet mind but you are the keeper of you and it's your responsibility to keep yourself pure and clean from all the garbage and it's not that it's bad stuff it's just that that's not the way the brain works the brain does not multitask the brain does gets confused quite easily so you have to make it so clear and so simple that you can actually do it I was reading something about Jordan Spieth a while ago when he was putting the way he putted when he was playing so great and he said the whole key was that I simply black out. And we talk about that, but he says it takes work and it takes preparation to really give it no thought. Right. And yes, we train our physical stuff. Yes, you have to have a good golf stroke. Yes, you have to train seeing the ball go in the hole with your putting stroke. But when you're playing, if you're thinking in the conscious mind, you've slowed everything down. And if the ego gets involved, you are out there trying to protect yourself, which no one plays very well that way. You know, Susan- we need to allow ourselves to be vulnerable. You, you know, Susie Myers, uh, before we say goodbye, you know, I think what you hit on in golf from point A, and if you want to know more about Susie, it's susiemyersgolf.com. But I think great players have always thought this way. Jack Nicholas or Bobby Jones. I had a chance uh, years ago, I was hosting an event and Nick Price was one of the players. It was the skins game, Tim. And I was driving Nick back to his car. I happened to be in a cart, and I said, Nick, hey, uh, nice to meet you. And I said, uh, do you mind if I ask you a question? And at the time, I was you know, a decent player, and I said, my, my issue is when I get it going really well, I can't, if I get under par, whatever really well is for anybody, I said, I can never really hold it together. I start to get nervous or whatever. And I said, how do you do it when you get it really going? You're four or five under after six or seven holes. And here's what he said. He said, I pretend I'm starting again. And I said, what do you mean? Yeah. He said, I pretend every hole is the first hole. And I said, what do, you, what do you mean by that? And he said, well, you know, on the first hole, you're not over par. You're not under par. You're just starting. He said, that's how I think. He said, that's how I think all the time, but especially when I start to play really, really well. But I would say as a caveat, that's also a great way to think full time, but also when you're playing, when you think you're not playing well. Because it gives you a chance to kind of etch your sketch the round and start again. That's that's so powerful, and that's obviously golf from point A. I'm my goal is to get 
point A to be a universal word so that people can use it as a tool, that they understand what Nick Faldo was saying there. What They understand when those players are winning the, the U.S. Open, they're overcoming all this extraneous thought. They're just getting back to point A. They're getting back to there is nothing in the past. There is nothing in the future. I'm just doing what the best I can do with what I have right now. And when that becomes a universal word, I think people will enjoy their experience so much more because it's really about the experience of playing out there for four and a half hours. Who am I going to be? I'm going to be a player at point A. I'm going to allow the ball to go. I'm going to accept wherever it goes. And I'm going to be aware of how where my thoughts are. And I'm going to enjoy the round rather than trying to force everything. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the things, I, I love where you're going with that. And one of the things I love about the, the phrase point A is that it's another way of articulating what being present is. There isn't a future, there isn't a past, and you're not caught in a story. It, because really, all we're doing when we're playing golf is is creating a story that I'm under par. I mean, really, what's that, what's that actually really mean? You know, to, to quote, here's the f- first reference to Fred Shoemaker today is really, we're just hitting, hitting a piece of rubber in a park. Everything else is just a story and adding meaning to it. So what I love about what you're putting across with point A is that just let go of, as you say, the garbage. Let's be here now. Let's enjoy what we've got. So, Susie, it's been uh, just uh, a treat to uh, to meet you and talk to you about your, your book. And I, I would say that um, for our listeners, that's uh, one that you should definitely have uh, in your library. Yeah, exactly. Thanks, Susie. We appreciate it. Golf from Point A is the name of the book. And uh, more about Susie Myers at SusieMyers.com. All the best to you. Thank you, too. I certainly enjoyed it, and I love listening to your podcasts and your work. Thank you. Well, thank you, Susie Myers. You're a very nice person. I put the jump in my step. There you go. (laughs) That's right. Um, I appreciate you, Susie. Take care. There's Susie Myers. Thank you very much. There you go. Okay, this is the point where you just let yourself go. I say goodbye. You say goodbye, you're done now. Yep, exactly. See you later. Bye. You know, it's funny. No matter how many times I tell guests that there's going to be a point where Tim and I are going to say goodbye and it's going to be a little awkward. And then, but it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Absolutely. Yeah, Golf from Point A. It's a small book. Here it is. Look at it. It's very thin. You know, there's the fun part. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> I remember our uh, our friend George McNamara coming on the show, and uh, or maybe it was just in a conversation with me. Our late friend George McNamara saying uh, he was on vacation, but as a golf professional, there was a book that he couldn't avoid reading, and mm-hmm. it was Golf from Point A, and uh, a, a wonderful book. And uh, uh, it's funny uh, this morning uh, in uh, my little golf digest summary uh today um there was um something about tiger woods and he's giving a clinic or something like that yeah, i saw and, that and the guy's got the video going and says so tiger what would you recommend to any amateur um about getting better and he just went tiger was don't watch fucking youtube <laughs> <laughs> that's right yeah here's how here's how you know the golf world is desperate for any tiger woods sighting he wasn't even hitting balls at that clinic it was ricky fowler and will zalatoris and tiger was just kind of hitting a couple chips and bouncing a ball on his uh wedge and they let it go for 20 minutes hoping that he would take a swing um you know what i one thing i want to talk about which in, in terms of uh you know what we're all getting to or trying to get to is this notion. And again, I know I this this is the summer of Ray. But uh, the idea of, well, it starts with, you know, people saying, I want to be more consistent. Well, that's not true. You can't be. I want to hit the ball. What if, what if I could hit the ball good all the time? Well, you can't. So all you can control, and I know we've said this a thousand different ways, but the way he talks about it is this idea of stable confidence. And what is stable confidence versus you know, unstable. And one of the things she said about the fragility of golfers, the um, vulnerability, what yep. a great, what a great way to put it. 
because we're literally standing over a shot, whether it's the first hole of a tournament or you're just playing with your buddies, while we're in the motion, we're pretty vulnerable because that thing could go anywhere, even at the highest level, you know? I always reference that Ian Poulter was in contention a few years ago, and and he shanked a shot deep in the back nine, like one of the best players on earth. So the idea of stable confidence and what it is is the is the notion that no matter what happens, you're going to be okay. And once you can accept that, I'm going to be fine, come what may. It actually opens you up to hitting better shots because you're not trying to guide it, hoping to control an outcome, as she said, as you've said, as we all, that is uncontrollable. But it's the act of trying to control it that gives us the anxiety. Thoughts, comments, and concerns. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I I feel like lately you're sort of directing me, now's the time for you to talk, Tim. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, it, you know what it is? After we have like a real guest, I just like to bring back some of the nonsense, you know, because yeah, there's, yeah, exactly. there's always an element no, I, of some nonsense. I, I, I think actually what you're doing is pretending you're a, you're a PGA Tour player and you've just come in <laughs> and you're in contention and you've gone through your birdies and bogeys. That's all right. Now I'm ready to take questions. Do we have any questions for Howard after his round? <laughs> well, um, yeah, I, I really resonated with what she said about golf makes you vulnerable. And you think about how in so many ways that's counterintuitive for so many people. They're so you know, she talked about those women she's coaching who uh, it's all about their score and how they're going to look. I mean, that's really no different than so many people. They want to control how they look. They want to look good. They want to look like they're competent. Whatever they do, they're, they're, they're good because if they don't perform at this to, to what they believe is the expectation or a standard that they've set for themselves, uh, then they're going to fail and look bad. And really, you think about when we do operate with some vulnerability – that's when we really tap into our special, I guess you could say, our marvelous you, to, to the authentic you. Like when you're, when you're, you, in your email to me the other day, you said you did stand up for the first time in a while. Yeah. I mean, when you're up there, you're vulnerable. Yeah, you've got, you've worked on some jokes and you've got sort of maybe an arc, if you will, that you're following. But I would have to say you also are just sort of, allowing things to happen that come to you and and going with it rather than rigidly trying to control it i mean stand-up is a great example of the most vulnerable you can be is public speaking and the most vulnerable public speaking i would offer is stand-up comedy only because it's such a specific outcome you're looking for such a specific reaction uh, and that being laughter, it's not an easy thing to do, getting people to laugh. But, you know, I went up there and, and you know, I, I you know, I, it was one of those things where not that it was easy, but it was easier. It was a beautiful theater. People are sitting down. There was hundreds of them, 300 plus people. The microphone was perfect. There was a spotlight. So it was kind of like I would put it like in golf terms, a, uh, a downhill uh, saw. It was like a, a wind behind you. Downhill par five. Not, not too long. Like, you know, you're the, the worst you're going to do is make par, maybe. So I, I knew walking onto that stage, and I had a pretty good... All things were in my favor. Like, you know, the opposite of that is lights are on. There's no stage. You're using... Uh, you're yelling at people. Um, but there's a high level of acceptance needed to do it. The idea that, hey, this could go wrong. Even though it's a short par five downwind, it could still go awry. Um, by the way, speaking of that email... I want to talk about the the email I wrote you, but I want to talk. Are you okay if we talk about what you wrote me? Sure, because I thought I thought it was a uh, a pretty interesting uh, note. Okay, I, I don't remember what I wrote. So I, you said I have a new you, client who is an eight oh, index. Yes. I think this is fascinating. So mm-hmm. Tim's note to me is: I have a new client who's an eight index, and his goal is to get to four next season. And to two this season after that. And I think this is also part of something for one of your substacks. And um, you said, I, I invite you to be brief. I don't want you to make this into a project, which I thought was very sweet. 
So I so I wrote down things very quickly. I went, okay. First, my first response was tell him to quit his job. <laughs> I said, just quit your job and dedicate yourself to golf as I have. So I said, eight to four from eight handicap to four uh, strategy, short game, especially less three putting and flexibility, meaning get more flexible, do something, TPI, Brooke Benny, yoga, something. And I said, from four handicap to two speed. Because I said, if you want to get close to scratch, the scratch average for yardage off the tee is 250 yards. Now, that doesn't mean you can't get there without that number, but you better be getting close to it because you're not going to do it at 215 to 20 off the, yard, off the tee. Better short game and continued better fitness. And I said, you know, and then from two to zero, I don't know. That one's tough. But I think an eight handicap could get to two well, it certainly could get to four, but from four to two is also a pretty, it's a pretty tall order. Well, what are your it thoughts is. about that? Well, I, I think that getting from an eight to a two for most people who still have to work. Yes. Still have real <laughs> it's lives. Two, it's about a two-year process. Um, and the hardest part is from the four to the two. Oh, yeah. Um, because what I really think is that once we get to that level... It's a lot of the stuff like we talked about with Susie and the challenge of golf is our humanness and being trapped or distracted or uh, caught in things like habit loops, uh, old belief systems, stories. And if you've, you know, I'm so I'm 66 years old. I'm in my seventh decade. There's certain ways of being in the world that I've just followed for, like I say, close to seven decades. Um, and they operate on belief systems on things that have happened to me and strategies that I have unconsciously formed as a child, how I'm going to go through the world. And part of transforming, if you will, is overcoming all the, those things, those strategies that keep me stuck. Um, you know, the, 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 the visceral hit that I take with certain things go on. That's the hard part. I told this guy, I sent this guy an email. I said, this is doable, but I said, this is going to excite you, challenge you, torment you, uh, depress you. Yeah. All of that, because it's the behaviors that get us caught. We can do those things that you talked about, uh, practice short game, better increase your speed, be more flexible. Uh, That those things are doable. If you, commit and you're able to follow through on your commitments but coming back to Susie it's having the awareness of what's of, of how our, our our sort of our old ways of being keep us stuck is one of the greatest challenges well, you have absolutely in this game. And, and in life well and, and you use a great word there and I was going to bring it up because uh, I'd, I'd heard this phrase recently and I've been using it a lot there's a big difference between being interested in getting good and being mm-hmm. committed to being yep. good because if this guy who's an eight handicap and wants to be a two in a couple of years like that is a big commitment like oh, it's a huge yeah. and 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 i'm gonna tell you eight to four is is not an easy thing four to two is impossible and two to scratch is like again quit your job but if you're not committed if you're just sort of interested in it then you won't overcome all the challenges as you've so aptly put all the emotional and physical ups and downs of the next couple of years. It would be interesting to see, uh, and maybe you could update us from time to time as to how he's doing, because I think it's a fascinating quest because I think a lot of people who listen to this show and watch YouTube videos and listen to other podcasts, they're interested in getting better. But I think a less, a smaller percentage are committed to getting better. Yeah. Well, Interesting. So, thanks for bringing up that email. It's it's uh, been an interesting response. Interesting responses I've got to that email. So, I sent the same question out to uh, a bunch of coach friends of mine, some people who are really good players like you. And um, so, one of those people was Todd Graves, who is um, the co-founder of Graves Golf Academy. They teach the single plane swing that he learned from Mo Norman. 
And one of the things I ran by him around, you know, okay, if you want to be a scratch, and and I ran by him my experience with you, and I said, well, you know, I, Howard, um, you know, How, Howard was a a plus, uh, a good portion of last year. He's been a scratch for a number of years. And I said, Howard has a golf club in his hand, pretty well from May first to October thirty first, and he plays a ton of golf, and I think that's what it takes to play at that level and he just went one thousand percent you've got to play a lot of golf he said you've got to play a minimum of three days a week you've got to have dedicated scheduled practice time where you're committed that this this time is sacred in my calendar nothing is going to get in the way of this and so the key point that he was making is that if you really are committed to getting, you know, quote, better at something like that, then you got to know what the investment you've got to make in yourself. Great. Another great word. And, and by the way, not to correct you, but to make it clear, I have a golf club in my hand every day of the year. I oh, may not okay. hit a ball every Thank day. You. No, I'm, but I'm serious. I literally no, have I a golf it. club. Totally there, there's it. only a few days in the year, especially now that I'm going away in the winter. But even when I didn't, like I take that dog of mine out every day. And on most days, even except for the blizzard days, on those days I have a golf club in, in my hand in golf lab. But on those, you know, on, a, on a decent day in the winter, I'm hitting balls in a little, you know, little park with Stan and chipping little half wedges. Yeah, what, about, what about Christmas Day when the kids are all at home? And I'm, you know, here's what I do. Your action, everyone's gathered around the Christmas tree. Okay. On those days, I definitely walk by the mirror in golf lab just to check my setup. <laughs> anyway, um, but good. Listen, I, I think it'll be fascinating to follow this gentleman's progress. Not say maybe it's not a gentleman. Maybe it's a woman. Women can be scratch golfers too, Tim. Um, well, it'll be interesting yep. to follow this person's progress. Uh, and I think it would be also fascinating maybe to see what other people have said about it because. You know, like I said, yeah, that, yeah, that. absolutely. Um, it, it it has been really fascinating. But just quickly, one of the things that is a pretty well common among all the responses is find out where you're losing shots. Oh, okay. Find yeah. out where you're making mistakes, um, you know, such as target selection, uh, club selection off the tee. Uh, just you know, and keeping stats. Where you know, you know, where are you? You know, where are you leaving shots out there? And if you start to address that stuff, you, you start to chip away. Well, at eight handicap, you're still making way too many. Um, you're, it's the decade five. I guarantee you that eight handicap has more penalty shots, more three putts, more two chips, all that stuff. And that is all part of the strategy packet. Somebody asked me the other day if I was still doing decade. And I said, well, I do decade now. Um, almost as part of the way I, it's the way I look at a golf course. I was in trouble the other day playing this tournament and, um, I, you know, I, I, I had a, a long shot to a green I was unfamiliar with. It was 200 plus yards. And all I said to myself was where I'm going to leave this golf ball. Cause 200, I was 205 to the green on its tough, long par four. I said, you know, I, I there was trouble, right? And I just thought to myself, wherever this ball goes, it's not going right. It may not go on the green because from 205, my number of shots from a perfect lie onto the green are still pretty short. So I knew I was going to probably miss the green. And so where I wanted to miss it was to make the worst I could make was a bogey. And sure enough, I did. I hit it. Actually, I hit a really good shot straight left of the green. I thought maybe if it cuts, I'll get on the green. It didn't. It just went straight. I pitched up to about six or seven feet, just missed the putt, tapped in for bogey. Thank you very much. What I didn't do and what a lot of eight, eight plus handicaps would do is I didn't try and hit it on the green. Yeah. I thought if it got on the green, you know, if my dispersion, if I pushed it slightly and it got on the green, good for me. But if I hit it nicely, which I did, it just went where I aimed it, which was left. And that's yeah. a big, that's, that's how I still do decade. Yeah, well, that that's, takes experience to, to know that. I mean, it just, again, it's kind of counterintuitive. I'm here, you know, I got the shot. Oh, maybe I could hit this hybrid on the green or mm-hmm. my five wood. But if you really look at the, um, if you look at the stats, about even how tour players, you know, from 205 yards, man, their dispersion is all over the place. You're just better to knock it up there, away from the trouble, leave it short, chip on, and 
every once in a while you make a putt, the worst you're going to make is a bogey if you're kind of a, a you know, an eight-ish handicap, like you said. You know, I, I saw a stat from uh, Lou Stagner yesterday at some point. I thought it was interesting to repeat that. A scratch golfer at 125 yards from the fairway has a 10% chance of making a birdie and a 19% chance of making a bogey. Hmm. So now do the math for 5, 10, 15, and 20 handicap players. So if I'm more, I'm more likely to make bogey than I am birdie, it doesn't... Now, bogey versus par is different. They're just talking about his stat was birdie versus bogey. I'm more likely to bogey that than I am to birdie it based on the number of bogeys that I would make to birdies. So that's a, there, there's a great example of... So where I was the other day at 205 from the green, I had just a good enough lie in the rough to hit that shot. If my lie was any worse, I would have laid up. I would have hit a seven iron, whatever, you know, 40 yards short of the green, pitched it up, took my bogey because in a tournament, especially a qualifier, which I was in, you just, if the worst you've got to make is a bogey or in, you know, if you're a higher handicap, the worst you can make is a double. It's when you start making, you know, you know, we, we, we've all done it, making triples and quads. Yep. It's no good. There you go. More, good. more wisdom from GSL. So should I, listen, I know I've talked a lot. Should I tell the story about uh, dry getting there a minute before my tea time? Oh, please do tell. <laughs> love it. Love it. Love it. At a qualifier, uh, just quickly, I qualified last week with Charlie Doctors. Charlie Fitzsimmons and I qualified for the Ontario Better Ball. I had my lowest round of the year and my lowest competitive round of the year with Charlie. Shot 72 on a grown-up golf course, 6,700 yards. It was great. I've been playing pretty well lately, and, uh, you know, my it's not just that I've been playing well, but for the last couple of months, I've enjoyed golf more than I have, I've ever done. So I go to this tournament. This is for the senior better ball. It's a two-man event, and I'm an hour and 15 minutes away from where I'm going, and I get on the 401, and they shut it down. And it took me two hours and 45 minutes to get there. I got there at one minute before my tea time. And because of the traffic, like, you know, they literally sh- shut all the lanes of the busiest highway in Canada down. Whoa. So I let my, my partner, Jamie, know that, hey, I'm, I'm going to get there, but let them know I'm going to be. Because if you're in a GAO event, if you're not on the tee at your time, you're disqualified. But in a two-man event, if one of you is there to tee off, you can play. So I said, you might have to play the first hole by yourself. So they pushed our times back 10 minutes. So I got to the first tee. Someone gave me a ride from the parking lot. I took about 10 swings with my six and seven iron, two clubs together, and uh, teed it up. Hadn't hit a ball, hadn't putted, hadn't warmed up, hadn't stretched really. And then I went out and shot my lowest competitive round of the year. I shot one under par 70. (laughs) Now, why did I do that? As I wrote Uh, to you. Lessons and morals, please. Well, (laughs) it's very, very simple. I think, as I said to you, I think if I had to guess, I think I'm beginning to believe and develop some serious confidence, stable confidence that no matter what's happening, I'm going to be okay. Like I knew that I'd be all right and and that Jamie's a good player. He could carry us for a couple holes, that we'd be fine, that even if it didn't work out, it was going to be fine. And even my first swing, my first swing of the day with a golf ball, I hit it pretty good. You know, I didn't crush it, but I kept it in play, and I hit uh, eight of the first greens, eight of the first nine greens in regulation, and shot one under on the front. And I just think that's what it is. I, even though I was rushing, and even though I was, you know, worried that we would miss our tee time, I just had this feeling like, yeah, I'll probably be all right. And uh, our team was five under as a team. Uh, Jamie made a couple nice birdies in the back nine, and uh, we got in easily, and yeah, it was just weird. It was it was weird. It was almost like what she said uh, about blacking out. Like, I never really thought much all day. All I did was, you know, what I've been doing lately is I'm trying to swing as freely as I can. And I hit a lot of greens in regulation and made some really good putts. And But that's the other thing. I've started putting better now because oh, great. I've just started letting it go. I made four birdies, and they weren't tap-ins. They were of length, you know, 15, mm-hmm. 8, 12 feet. Anyway, there you go. So that's uh, well, that's kind of, it. That, I love that. I love that story. Thank you for uh, for sharing it. Um, what it makes me think about is that you knew maybe at even an unconscious level, like 
you're going to be fine no matter what happens. You, you got there. I'm playing golf today. I mean, how bad can it be? I'm playing golf. I'm going to be with my buddy, and um, and I'm going to play golf, and I'm going to be okay. Maybe even just at an unconscious level. But what you made me think about was just in so many ways as 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 golfers, and particularly golfers, I think who live in North America. As Susie was saying, we have all these shoulds. We get to the golf. We need to get to the. If you're a serious competitive golfer, you got to. You should get to the golf course mm-hmm. an hour early. You should flex, uh, do your warm up. Get flexible. Make sure you got all your snacks and your hydration. You should hit balls. <laughs> you should do this, this, and this. Contrast that to, to say Ireland or Scotland, where you pull into like this nine hole golf course, gravel parking lot. You know they swing their feet out of the car, put their shoes on grab the clubs out of the boot, go to the first tee, maybe take a couple of swings That's right. and go. Yeah. And most of those people have a lovely time and they play pretty well because I just love the relationship they have to the game, usually match play, you know, quite often. Maybe that's, I think that's overplayed somewhat. But it's about having a, there's just a more relaxed relationship with the game. Yeah, I agree. And, and people play well. I mean, I last year I was playing um, often on Wednesdays at Blue Springs. First guy off the tee just bolt around in a cart in two hours, 15 minutes. I never warmed up. Yeah. I just got there, went straight to the tee, bang. And quite often, <laughs> I played really well. No, I love what you said about the shoulds of it. I mean, like, you know, I'm a serious tournament player. That's how I see myself or I've seen myself. Mm-hmm. I've got to do that. all that stuff and... And, you know, when I grew up in Moose Jaw, there was no driving range. There was no driving range until, you know, way after I'd left home. I'd never been in a golf course where you could go to the range before the round. You know, there was a putting range in Moose Jaw, and I maybe, part of me thinks there was a net somewhere. But that's why a lot of these these old golf courses like uh, Islington and uh, Toronto Golf and, you know, even Georgetown over there, which is a club link course now, they they didn't have a range. They had a net near the first tee. You'd hit a few swings. So, I, I mean... You know, I, I, you know, I think I've told you this story before. The first time I played a tournament with Charlie, it was the first time we, we, had, we were going to qualify for the Better Bowl. And now we've been doing this. I was trying to think, this is probably our fifth or sixth time. And I didn't know Charlie very well. And I just thought of him as this high-level, you know, Canadian University legend. And I got to the course, as you say, and I was, got there and stretched and all this other stuff. And Charlie kind of rocks up about half an hour before our tee time, stretched a little bit. I think he hit one or two balls and then went to the tee. Because, yep. and, he, and I was like, what is going on? And as he said, listen, I'm more interested in getting my body ready to play. I know how to play. Um, and I'm not saying I'm going to start arriving at a, my tee times, but I'm going to put a lot less... You know, worry, not that I've been worried, but a lot less whatever on making sure I hit balls for well, less a certain shoulds, amount of time. Less shoulds that you should do this and should do that. Yeah, 100%. I watched, I watched Charlie do that when he was playing for Western as the oldest <laughs> Canadian That's university right. golfer. Um, you'd see all these kids so studiously working their game on the range. You know, oh, yeah. the alignment sticks down and that's all good stuff. There's yep. nothing wrong with that. But he would come over and just kind of uh, wriggle around a bit like our our uh, our favorite Spanish golfer on the Champions Tour. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, What's his name? Yeah, of course. Here we Angel, are. Uh, Jimenez. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Watch him wriggle around a bit and then come over to the first tee, few jokes, and then bang off he goes. Yeah, I'll Just say this about Charlie. More relaxed approach to golf. <laughs> um, I played uh, like the round I played two days ago in this event where I started on. I got there on my uh, tee time. I hit it pretty well. I know it's going to sound crazy, but I shot under par. I didn't. I didn't drive it great. I drive. I drove it okay. I never drove it really in trouble. But I, I played pretty nicely. But with Charlie. That was I, that's as good as I can hit a golf ball, and I, I think I'm not sure if I told you this, but nobody was happier for me because Charlie. Listen, the truth is Charlie usually like last year is the first year that I've ever been in a qualifier with him for this where I felt like I contributed because the other few years Charlie shot four or five under and that was our score, but this year 
I made three birdies in the first eight holes before Charlie made a birdie. So what I was telling you about Charlie is nobody was more, <clears throat> excuse me, nobody was happier for how I was playing than Charlie Fitzsimmons. Like that's a great Absolutely. quality in a partner. Totally. And he said something to me on 17. Was 17? 17 was a I'm like, and I'm playing with these kids. So it's like 190, par three, wind is screaming hard right to left. And I just hit this beautiful iron right to left into the wind, hit it about 10 feet. But when it was in the air, Charlie yelled, you're golfing like an angel. <laughs> and I just fucking, I fell down laughing because he couldn't. That is awesome. It was so funny to me. You're golfing like an angel, he said. And I looked at him. I just couldn't stop. I said, okay, dude, I get it. I, I know. But it was just, I'm, I'm telling you. And he didn't, you know, he played okay for him. I don't know whatever he shot, 72, 73. But he was so happy for me. He couldn't contain himself. I'll tell you what. I'm going to finish by saying this. We talked about it yesterday. I think the reason he was happy for me is because he's been with me when I've struggled. When I, I just can't pull the trigger. When I can't. I, all I do is guide it around. Like a lot of times I'd play with him, you know, I'd be going into the tournament and I'd be so intimidated by the circumstances that I just smother hook everything. And then I've sort of to evolve to the point where I can, you know, finally actually let the ball go. <laughs> that's why he yelled that. It just made me laugh. And again, you know, that's a really good partner because he wasn't having yeah. his best day, but he saw me having a, a very good day. And uh, he was very happy for me, which was cool. That's awesome. But you're golfing like an angel. Where have you ever <laughs> I know. heard that before? Where did that? I've never heard that. I've been playing forever. I've never heard anybody say that. You're exactly. golfing like an angel. Um, okay, are we done? Do you have anything else? Um, I, I think that we've covered most everything I wanted to get to. Yeah. Okay. Let's keep up... Uh, Let's keep in touch with that guy and see how, we, like next year, that could be one of our little projects to see how how the eight handicap goes to a four. See if you can do it. Yeah, and let's let's keep in contact with Susie Myers. Great to have her back someday. Yeah, she's very good. Uh, good chatter, golf from point A. Control your thoughts, and your thought you control your thoughts, and your thoughts control everything. So there you go. Um, we'll be back in a couple weeks. Just hang around a second. I want to throw a couple dates at you. Um, okay. As always, thanks to TaylorMade Golf, who is OscarBravo.com, and Stretch Lab Toronto. O'ConnorGolf.ca is where you catch up with all things Tim, the uh, substack. It's called Up and Down. Is it not called Up and Down? It is called Up and Down. All right. And uh, check out HumbleAndFredRadio.com. Till next time. Sound of the river, you stop and you hold everything. Band is blowing Dixie.